0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com.
1: Folks, we're going to talk about some blockchain today. Are we ready to talk about it because hopefully the uh, you know get rich quick on Bitcoin days are over. Are we past that? Have we all? admitted that we didn't make any money and it didn't really matter, or are we still holding out for that and ignoring the, the bigger picture, which is the exciting technology and the cool stuff that's happening with it and what we can all do in the future with it. There's going to be so much opportunity. I got introduced to a guy named Alex Linebrink, who is a good example of that through a friend, and uh, he runs a ticketing company called Passage. Now, first of all, ticketing companies – uh traditionally have always been something that's very been irritating to me as somebody in you know arts and events and promotions and stuff like that it's been very inefficient very difficult not good experience for the fans not good experience for anybody and so i'm very happy to For the world to improve in the ticketing thing but alex has a company called passage that does ticketing and it's very very good and also he has a company called passage x which is a secondary ticketing venue that it utilizes blockchain technology and stuff to promote industry accountability and transparency and to uh it's gonna make i'm not gonna I i can't explain this intro you'll you'll get it in the episode but this is the type of idea um that will change the way we we do stuff and it's going to be really really good so you're going to enjoy this episode and uh let me ask you something i might ask you a favor i don't ask you guys for a ton of stuff but i have a way that i make over 100 dollars, and sometimes close to 200 dollars a month that is free and doesn't cost anybody anything and that's if you shop on amazon uh, you, they will give me a kickback if you use my link, and you, if you're going to shop there anyway, you got to go to my website, which is, uh, I, don't, I think it's BreakItDownPod.net or BreakItDownPodcast.com, or I have those inverted, but you'll find the website. Click on the hamburger menu, whatever you call it, in the top right, and find the link that says Amazon, bookmark it in your browser, and then if you buy diapers or uh, new computers for everybody in your business or anything that you can buy on Amazon, that you do buy on Amazon, and I know you buy stuff on Amazon, why don't you let me get a little something off of that? It doesn't cost you anything, but I'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and that that's about it, so please do that. I will appreciate you'll be supporting this show directly. And uh, also Rockabilly. Rockabilly is a company that supports the show, and I appreciate very much. They're where you should get all of your merchandise. So that's like rock bands, pop culture stuff, hoodies, T-shirts, posters, anything like that. Uh, It's all officially licensed. They've been doing it forever. They have the best selection. It's a great website. Uh, They pay a lot of attention to the consumer and the experience there. It's very good. And uh, you need clothes anyway. They make good gifts, but they also make stuff just to keep you, you know, warm and not be naked. And then, heck, you might might even want to express yourself. You might want to wear a Misfits t-shirt to let everybody know, you know, What you're like on the inside. So whatever. There's lots of good stuff over there. And I do appreciate it. You use the promo code PC Jabberjaw. You get 15% off anything you spend at rockabilia.com. All right, let's do this episode. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh. oh You know, I feel like the names thing is weird. Like, it's kind of <laughs> like phone numbers and names to me seem to be fundamentally outdated. I know that sounds yeah. weird, but obviously, there's no reason to have phone seven-digit sequences of digits. Yeah. You know, to to reference <laughs> who people are, how to find them. That's obviously goofy, and For there's sure. no reason yeah. to have it. But we, even when it comes to names of people, there's so many difficult names from so many difficult language places, that it just seems like an outdated concept. I know that sounds crazy,
0: but it just seems weird. It makes it tough to communicate effectively. You know, when you're struggling through somebody's name, especially when you talk about stuff like overseas, that's not English, you know, and you might be speaking English with somebody, Mm -hmm. but you know, you can't even come close to their name. Yeah. And it's not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: we have a doctor that I I promise you have just no No way to pronounce her name. It's our family doctor. And I just, there's, I've tried and there's no way. It's one of the hardest names I've ever seen, but it just, that can't be pleasant to have that conversation, to have to live that. Like, I feel bad because it's like, we should just change your name, but for sure she should change your name. It just would be better. (laughs) And I don't know if that's something that we, we could do, but it's like a pain point. So if we think about tech and all this other stuff, it's like, that's what we keep doing is we go into, these areas where there's a pain point and then somebody solves it. That's how it works. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And there's some of these analog things in our life that haven't been updated or changed in forever. And I'm starting to look at them. And one of them, uh, you didn't know I was bridging into something specific here, but one of them is concert going.
0: Yeah, Going to events
1: and concerts is one of those things that I feel like is just, how is that so unoptimized? Both the experience of, Doing the ticketing and then even the concert experience, because I, you know, that's what I'm always doing is going playing concerts and watching Mm -hmm. people stand around on concrete with this old PA system and wait for their band to play. Like, it's not been designed for user experience. Mm -hmm, So I feel like, are we going to retrofit the analog world and start designing for good user experience now that there's a bunch of people with user experience on the mind?
0: I, I certainly hope so. You know, at some point we have to start changing this stuff up and actually make it something that is friendly to the user. So you're able to get by this stuff that's wasting your time, wasting your resources, wasting your energy. It really shouldn't be. That's not supposed to be part of the experience, or at least it shouldn't be a negative part mm-hmm. if it is part of the experience.
1: You're, there certainly shouldn't be a negative part. You're right about that. So, tell me about your company, Passage X, and you know, you, yeah. you're into ticketing and stuff like that. And I've been playing around with different ticketing things and I've been frustrated with things about ticketing for yeah. almost 20 years now.
0: For sure. Yeah. So, tell me a little I bit imagine. about
1: that. Or, or you know, I, I won't introduce your company for you. I'll let you do it. I'm sure you know how to do it.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, uh, for the last five years, I've run a company by the name of Passage and uh, we power ticketing and payments both online and at the door for specialty events. So when we got into that uh, five years ago, we were looking at some of these issues. You know, not only the customer experience issue, but also just that whole dynamic between the fan and the artist, and how uh, somehow there's become this in between party, the the corporations, you know, that are there mm-hmm. that have all the power. When in fact, this is supposed to be between the fan and the artist. Supposed to be between the event and the people going to the event that mm-hmm. are experiencing that event. Um, so we got into this, you know, five years ago, and wanted to fix that for certain subsets of events uh, that, uh, you know, maybe uh, weren't serviced well by the existing guys that were out there. Um, so think of stuff that really didn't line up with music, theater, or sports. Uh, a good example is like we made a brand right off the get-go uh, for haunted houses. We called mm-hmm. it Haunt pay. Uh, To this day, we're still the largest provider of haunted house tickets in America, uh, which is crazy. But, you know, they're obviously a little different events. Uh, So, um, you know, they they have nightly things that go on for a year or a month at a time there. Every night they're doing something. Mm -hmm. And they have time slots. And they might have bundles of three different attractions under one roof. It just doesn't work like a normal event. So that's one thing that we got going with. And we have a brand for escape room tickets and one for – um semi pro soccer that's one of the big ones we've gotten into recently food and drink but we've been working on that for for like a little over 4 years now um and in that time you know we're, we've been growing it we currently service around 3000 events a year around 25 million dollars in transactions something like that um so we've been doing all right but that's nothing compared to the 8 billion dollars a year going on at stubhub we're not Whoa. challenging mm-hmm. that status quo that you talked about mm-hmm. that's just not user friendly in a lot of cases and also it might be abusing this power relationship it it, it is
1: i mean first i mean i remember hearing you know before i was into uh, as an artist or performer i remember pearl jam being mad Ticketmaster. you know that's the earliest thing i remember like and i was like wait a second something is why something has to be wrong there or else they wouldn't be in this battle or this feud and you know and then of course a lot of people just go to a concerts or event like once a year it's a special deal and you don't understand it and you don't know how it works and there's fees and it's whatever but it, once you get mm-hmm. into the scene and you're a person that goes to concerts and events or whatever it is eventually like what the fuck i mean what are these what are the <laughs> what is with the fees and who's doing what here and then when you become the artist it's, yeah. it's actually even more frustrating like can't sure guys it's just really frustrating like we try to do deals for our band where just let us sell the tickets and we'll do it because we can do it for free. Like All we got to do is yeah. put an item on our web store. People trust us now, which is nice. Yeah. Like They don't think I'm, I'm scamming them because I take their credit card on the in- info. So what sure, exactly yeah. do we need that company for to do, be the middleman? And then they have deals with Clear Channel or the venues that won't let us sell our own tickets. It's just a digital item. I'll send you a yep. code. It's not that big of a deal, and then of course now there's services, uh, other services like yours that are yeah. facilitate. So we don't have to do it ourselves, but still let us retain control. And I'm very relieved that there's progress going in this direction.
0: Sure, sure. But absolutely. what has it
1: been like? I mean, did you notice that, like just the, the fees and the disconnection and the middlemen, and oh, then the yeah. inside business? Did that drive you to start trying to solve it or figure that's where the the, the gains were to be made?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And more recently, you know, uh, about two years ago, we actually started seeing it on our side, we started getting customer service calls. So not only is it unfriendly to you, the customer, but we started getting calls from people who said that they'd purchased tickets to our events, but couldn't get into the event. They'd got to the event and their ticket was already marked as used or something. We started looking into it and it turned out these guys had purchased tickets on StubHub. And this ticket had not only been sold to them, it had been sold to like four other people mm-hmm. and it had just been used before. So it was basically a fraudulent sale that we didn't even take part in. It was just on some secondary market that was out there. Mm-hmm. Start digging into it and this happens a lot. So yeah, we saw that opportunity that, hey, there's ridiculously high service fees, tons of fraud going on. And especially in the secondary markets, none of that money is going back. Even when you're paying like over the face value and all these fees, None of that money is going back to the artist or the venue or the people actually putting on the event. Mm -hmm. Um, So those were some problems that we saw on that side of things as well. So actually, about a year and a half ago, we started developing out what you mentioned to start with, uh, PassageX, which is a blockchain-powered network that does exactly that, exactly what you're talking about. Cuts out the middlemen Mm -hmm. um, and automates a lot of this process. So now the fan and the artist are back in control. It's basically a direct transaction between the two lowering fees, eliminating fraud, because we can actually track that identity on the blockchain, um, and requiring uh, revenue splits that are fair to mm-hmm. the artist and fair to the producer and venues and those people that take part in there. And along the way, making everything transparent. That's the biggest thing that you just mentioned as an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same with fans. As a concert goer, you have no idea where that 80% fee is, you know that you get charged on a Ticketmaster ticket is going. Uh, you don't know where in that money is going. As an artist, you don't even know. A lot of the the fans don't understand that the artists don't even see that half the time. Yeah. It's just like under the table stuff getting kicked back to a promoter here or a venue here. That's right. Whatever wants to happen. Yeah. Um. And that's not cool because there's no choice if you can't see what's there's going. No on. There's
1: no choice on the, even the artist side a lot of times. I mean, there yeah. can be, but it gets complicated. But it's like, what is that fee? Like, what? You know, you have. Oh, it, you don't do that with other stuff and and when you, the dirty secret about it is it's nothing. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. like most of that whole business relies on the fact that people are used to paying fees and not understanding. So we can (laughs) still, so I've worked with people in ticketing companies where they're like, oh, I know, but we can just put fees on it and then we can make Mm -hmm. more money and I'll split Mm -hmm. some of it with you. I'm like, well, what's, what, what for what? I mean, what you know, it's the worst feeling in the world to go, you know, you try to, price your ticket correctly, $20 to come see a band, yeah. whatever. I know it's expensive to get the sitter and do all the other stuff. And then you get there and people <laughs> are like, um, or sometimes they'll reference, yeah, we had, we spent like $100 on tickets. Like, what are you talking about? The t- tickets are $20. Well, and then they'll show you, no, the fees are like 18 I mean, sometimes it's just a, insane amounts that you had no idea yep. as the artist that the people that are coming. But even if it's $4, yep. like, even if it's a $4 fee on a $20 ticket, I found that to be pretty obscene because... I mean, the, I don't think we wind up walking. I mean, I don't know that we walk with $4 a ticket. Yeah. And the, totally. and we drove to the city,
0: <laughs>
1: developed intellectual property, you know, performed, mobilized uh, t- half a dozen or a dozen people to get there to go spend the hours to do – I mean y- – And, you know, our cut is similar to a ticketing fee. I mean, I don't know exactly what it would be, but, you know, the artists don't get the majority of a ticket. Like, that goes into expenses and the production and the venue and the promoter, and then the artists get some, and then the artist is us, and then we split it six ways and have our own expenses. So, you know, a ticket fee, somebody just takes more money than the band gets and just says, yeah, we'll just we'll just have this. And all we did was allow you to use a website. I mean, that's about all it is. And of course, that's a service that has a value, but Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, but it that's shouldn't be just
0: that, right? It shouldn't be like the main driver of the money mm-hmm. that's going through there, yeah. right? Yeah. Like they shouldn't be getting more money than any other party because right. they have a website set up.
1: Yeah, yeah I, it's just the most silliest thing in the world. Given that that's the one <laughs> thing you can do yourself. I mean, you know, like it, it, it's just not. And it used to be that way. Mm-hmm. I understand it used to be. Look, it's online I used to drive to the box office, and then it's like, oh, there's an online service, and I'll pay eight dollars. I don't have to drive to the box office, and that's yeah. pretty. That must have a lot of security and they must have all these employees to run their website. I'm sure it was that way, but at this point, it's as simple as PayPal me the money, dude, or or buy it on my Shopify web store, or Ooh, I'll use a simple yeah. ticket service like yours or Eventbrite or whatever mm-hmm. else there is, and then and that's great. And let mm-hmm. we'll just do it, do it the right way, cut out those freaking middlemen. Sorry for that rant, but that's why this stuff, This <laughs> this, this, is, this is my experience with the stuff, but blockchain, what? what i mean now now i <laughs> now i don't know anything about that i know i'm i like blockchain i'm a fan of it but in this application tell me how that works what's was blockchain have to do with any of
0: this yeah for sure i mean uh i know you guys have dug into it in the past i even listened to one of your podcasts that you did mm-hmm. back in december uh that you got into blockchain a little bit so i won't you know go from the very you know basics but you know just uh to s- zoom through it like at a basic level blockchain is a secure digital way that you know maybe is uncorruptible because you can only write to it. It's a write only way to track assets. Mm-hmm. And of course the question that that begs is what's an asset or what's a digital asset? in this case.
1: Let's, take, um, let's do take one second, and I want to go past yeah. what we I discussed in the other podcast you listened to, but let's make sure we catch sure. some people up here. First of all, is it a good time to talk about blockchain now that people have at least stopped talking all the time about the price of Bitcoin? And Is this probably oh, a good time to be past that a little bit, right? So we can focus I, on I the interesting so. things?
0: <laughs> I hope so. You know, there was obviously a little bit of a bubble that was happening, and, and there still may be. I mean, like, you know, prices are still up there mm. on some stuff, but at least... There was a significant correction after the winter. So it's not just something that people are jumping in without any knowledge, thinking that this is a gold mine and they can just make a bunch of money by throwing something into Coinbase real fast. Right. Um, So, yeah, so we can start talking about the technology that's beneath it. And that's what blockchain is. It's the thing beneath like Bitcoin. Uh, It's it's, uh, maybe the bigger revolution is not necessarily the money, but the tech behind it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know in my basic way, it's a secure digital way to to track assets uh, digital assets and anything could be a digital asset that could be uh, that could be money very plainly uh, that could be uh, a deed to a house uh, that you're trying to track ownership of. it could be um you know there's a crypto kitty something in that case you <laughs> know that we've heard all about that stuff. It could be an event ticket if we're talking about this stuff.
1: okay. let's um, keep it at event ticket and talk so you'll look at event ticket in this particular case as a digital asset so there's no paper ticket no barcode or there could be one printed but in general there's the abstract notion that user x owns a uh owns permission to attend an event Mm mm-hmm could you say that any better than I have said? I'm trying to just get it in a conceptual space.
0: <laughs> no, that's pretty good. Okay. I mean, yeah, this is this is an entry. This is an admission you know, mm-hmm. to this thing. So it is your right to enter this event. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. You've sold. Yeah. And so now I have sold somebody a right. That's a great way to put it, to attend mm-hmm. an event. And that right that I've sold them in itself is a digital asset. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. So what does that have still to do with blockchain? Well, I could do that with Visa and whatever
0: else. Yeah, totally. You can keep track of it with all that stuff. What we want to do is get rid of those middlemen. And that's where the blockchain Mm -hmm. part comes in. That and the security. Like a lot of the times, this stuff just isn't well kept track of. Um, It it is by the primary ticketing company, but then we see the ticket, you know, somebody will take a photocopy of that ticket. The barcode is really what they're selling there, but that's attached to that digital right to enter, Mm -hmm. you know, this event. And they'll just resell it to somebody on Craigslist or StubHub or something like that. And once, it goes into that space. Once it's not attached to that original person, all of a sudden this can be used by anybody. It could be resold five different times. There's no transparency into whether or not that ticket's still valid or, or anything Or sold like multiple
1: that. times, right, right.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're able to do by adding this blockchain network in there. Uh, why blockchain? Um, that's uh, It's a good question, but the cool thing about blockchain is you can have this distributed. It doesn't have to be run by one central player that's making money off of it. It can basically be a set of code that's run by a whole bunch of different players. Mm-hmm. So um, there can be, you know, in, in Bitcoin, this is called miners, right? Right. There are people that download a copy of the database and they're going to just leave that run on their computer so that they can make some money. Um, in that case, it's through this mining. But really what they're making is a portion of service fees. They're also making some of the new Bitcoin that's being released, but that. It's not forever. Really, it's the service fees. That's the main, majority of that money that's coming out there. Ethereum is the same way. There are miners that are running copies of this because they get money if they do that, basically. Same thing here. You don't have to have those people want to be artists and want to fix the world. They just have to be properly incentivized. And that's what this blockchain stuff allows a lot of the time. So let lets you incentivize people to run this network. It lets you uh, do things like track the identity, because that's what blockchain is made for, tracking an identity with a digital asset, who owns that, so we can track who is in charge of that ticket. And it also lets us do things like you know, those fee splits and some stuff like that through what are called uh, smart contracts. It's really contracts. just code mm-hmm. that runs based on like uh, different variables, different inputs uh, on blockchain stuff. So it could be like, if this happens, then do this. So in this case, it's if there's a ticket that's recorded here that there's supposed to be 10% of every secondary sale that goes back to the artist, then we make that happen Mm -hmm. uh, through our smart contracts there. We can have that hard-coded in to where people get those fair revenue shares there.
1: So how... I'm still a little lost on how you make a network and get other people incentivized and you get other people to do the blockchain for a specific. Like, I understand how Bitcoin or Ethereum work, but when it goes down to you doing blockchain, how do you make your own blockchain? I'll get foggy there. I can't even articulate the question. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, this is a good question. Uh, We're not reinventing the wheel. Um, You know, right now we are actually running a copy of Ethereum. You mentioned Ethereum. I see. It's a copy of that. Um, We are not running on the mainnet Ethereum because uh, you probably heard like it's gotten kind of expensive with all this, like you say, crypto kitty stuff running around and things like that. All these different applications has gotten slow and it's gotten expensive. These are problems with Bitcoin. It's problems with Ethereum right now, Mm -hmm. all over the place. Uh, It's that scaling issue that you hear so much about. So we took a copy of Ethereum. It's open source software. It's open source
1: software. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anybody can use it. Anybody can grab a copy and modify it to meet your own needs. So we have, you know, five second block times, which is way faster than when you think about like a Bitcoin's 15 minute block times or even Ethereum's, uh, you know, 30 seconds. We have five second block times. How are you able to
1: do that? And they're not. So, yeah, let's just.
0: It's a setting. I mean, basically because it's only running our data. uh, So we don't need to worry about Mm -hmm. all this other data flowing in there. Um, it's only running the tickets that we have posting to it, which we're making free. You know, any event, any primary ticketing company, anybody run to sell tickets can post their tickets to this network to start tracking.
1: Okay, okay. I want to continue to understand this model. I'm interested. Yeah, so, we can go so the whole flow. if you take the Ethereum network code, customize yep. it. So you at that point had to get a, a blockchain code person. Who is uh, how do you know, like who who yeah. works on blockchain? I mean, who yeah. do you have to hire a guy with this? I mean, instead of knowing
0: uh, Python code, they know blockchain code. I mean, yep, exactly. Yeah, you definitely want to have a blockchain expert on your side. In that case, um, we worked with some great guys called Shrine Development. Um, uh, Doug Droulard and his wife, Melissa Droulard, are the principals there. They're experts on this stuff. They've helped build out most of our system uh, from the get-go. But really, that blockchain portion of it, they just need to know the basics around building that out. And then we're building all the stuff to manage the tickets on top of it. Uh So you have to have ways to get data in there. If you want to use it for tickets, you have to have ways to get those tickets onto that blockchain. APIs, uh, all the different ways to connect in there. And then have you heard the concept Oracle before? No. All right, I've so heard this is something.
1: Oracle, but I don't know the concept outside of that.
0: In blockchain, this is—I mean, we're really getting into the weeds on the that's technical okay. side. But uh, uh, an oracle is a trusted source that takes data from the real world mm-hmm. and puts it on the blockchain. So it gets to do this basically on its own, usually somewhat automatically. But that's how we get tickets on there. But If you think of another case, like um, you've heard of, like betting on the blockchain on Ethereum or something, there Mm -hmm. might be a smart contract that says, you know, you got Floyd, uh, you know, and uh, you got Mayweather and and whoever else there, Uh, McGregor. There you go. Whoever wins, you know, based on that, it's going to split the money off, right? Smart contract
1: executes automatically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How's it executing automatically based on real-world data? It's doing that based on an oracle that's pulling in that data. Mm -hmm. So you have some trusted source that you're letting push that data to the blockchain to say, hey, uh, Mayweather won, you know, (laughs) in this case, uh, or something like that. Um, So uh, back over to what we're doing, we're doing that same thing with tickets. We're saying we've got this trusted Oracle that's allowed to post that. So a lot of our, uh, you know, side uh, is really working on the APIs and Oracles to be able to get data in and out of that blockchain, you know, from the real world. Which are tickets in this case. Yeah. So if, if
1: using your service, would the person have to know anything about blockchain or have any kind of, what, what does the user of your service need, you know, if this is confusing to them? Yeah. Both yeah. The user so, I and mean, the client, I guess, actually.
0: Yeah. There are, there are definitely, there are like three sources or maybe four if you talk about it. Like we work with primary ticketing companies who can post their tickets to our network. Uh, instantly those tickets become transparent to the outside world. So you can look them up. You can see if a ticket is valid or not. You can see where those fee splits are set up to go that sort of thing. Then we also work with marketplaces who get access to any tickets that have been marked for resale. So they're able to access those and sell those tickets. And, you know, we provide the infrastructure for that, but that could be any number of marketplaces. We've already teamed up with quite a few that way we're getting, we're giving people choice But then what happens when somebody buys a ticket on one of those or wants to sell a ticket? Well, they go to one of those marketplaces or their ticketing company. They'll register it for sale if they're the original owner for the ticket. Basically, just click a button to say register this for sale um, Mm -hmm. on the PassageX network. We push it out to that group of marketplaces we have, Mm -hmm. and then somebody else is going to be buying a ticket. But because of some cool partnerships we have, uh, we're actually working with a company called Uphold.com so that... You don't have to know anything about cryptocurrency to get in. Right. That's one of the biggest problems I see with most like blockchain stuff that's out there. You have to be a nerd, you know, just right. to be able right. to use At it. At this
1: point yeah. you do, yeah.
0: And, and, you know, so one of the get off the get go and we started this, like I just went in and I said, hey, you know, we can't require people are you, you to use cryptocurrency wallets. They can't have to have a public private key that they know about, at least, you know, in order to use this system, mm-hmm. uh, because that's just too much effort. Uh, we want a fan to be able to go and say, hey, I just want the best deal on a ticket or I want the, the deal where I know it's not it's going to be fraud free. So they can go. They can check out with a credit card. In the background, we convert it to a cryptocurrency because we need that to track this. Um, I mean, you've heard the analogy like if Ethereum is the the engine, then Ether, the cryptocurrency, is the gas that powers everything. Mm-hmm. It's the same way here. You know, we have our own Ether because we're running our own copy of Ethereum, so we have our own cryptocurrency. We call the Passage X token in the background, and that's really what's powering everything. It's it's incentivizing people to run copies of that blockchain. Which is where the security comes from, and we can definitely you know dig into what that means and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. But it's incentivizing those guys, it's disincentivizing spammers, it's allowing us to do those uh, fee splits, those revenue, those fair revenue splits back to artists, back to venues, back to producers, or whoever you know uh, wants to be involved there or needs to be involved in those transactions, Um, and all those good things you know that really keep this economy running on its own, even if we're not a part of it. So that token would continue to keep this economy of this blockchain uh, platform Mm -hmm. running. Even if we see, if we dive off to the side, it would keep those nodes incentivized. So people would keep running this software. People would keep everything up and going. Okay.
1: So you've generated two or three questions in that response that I want to try to not lose track of. No. So you're creating, Oh, let's just do the security one. You made your version of this software and tweaked it but who else other than you runs it and how do you incentivize them thus creating the permanent security and all that yeah am I, is so that a, is i'm asking that question correctly or have i missed something
0: yeah the security on, on on that side comes from the number of people that run it right yeah um just like any blockchain software you've got a million miners on bitcoin probably way more than that at this point uh but you know let's call it a million people that are mining software so Um, you know, I, I've always called that like security through obscurity versus security through transparency. Mm -hmm. So like in olden days, we used to lock everything behind walls and firewalls. If it's digital and encrypt it, we just make it hard to get to stuff. Right. Right. Like that was our security. Right. But blockchain turns that all the way around. And instead of making it hard to get to, we say, everybody gets this. Instead of not letting somebody see it, I want to let everybody see this. So, uh, you know, it's security through transparency. So it's like, you know, if I tell you I owe you, uh, you know, a drink um, and I do it in front of nobody, it's just between you and I. You come like back. Like a drink to me a week ticket later. that you
1: hid in a safe
0: yeah. would be the analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. Like I yeah, have exactly. a one coupon for one
1: drink at one bar and I put it in a safe behind a combination
0: lock. That's security. Exactly. If, if we come back and yeah. that safe isn't there, that ticket isn't there, it's my word versus yours. Right. And there's no security there. But if I just told you I owed you to drink on this podcast in Mm -hmm. front of, you know, 100,000 listeners or whatever you're going to reach this time around, then everybody's going to come back. Even if I say uh, uh, I don't owe you that drink, everybody's going to come back and say, no, you said you owed him that drink. It's like recorded forever. Everybody's got coffee. Not only did you owed it to
1: me, but you tweeted a video of you handing me the drink, right? So now (laughs) you said you owed it to him. You paid it to him. We all agree. There can be no dispute. And because of transparency, yeah, totally. not because of locked security. So that's what's brilliant about it. And that was a really good explanation, too. Uh, a good way I'll to think, think of that, that I hadn't thought of before or been able to understand or say. It helps to clear it up for me. But how do you incentivize other people to participate in your system? Like who else is run, yep. doing the, what, the mining, I guess. I don't know if you call it that.
0: Yep. yep. So we've got people that are running nodes on this platform, and, and right now we are basically taking them on a case-by-case basis so it's not open yet we do want to make it open so anybody can run a node but right now they have to ask us basically if they want to run a copy of it
1: why do they want Uh to
0: uh, because you they'll get a uh, portion of fees okay. uh, that go through the system, so there is still a small service fee. It's not eighty mm-hmm. percent; it's like in this case, like one percent, you mm-hmm. know, of ticket sales that go through. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, they would get a split of that if they're running one of those nodes of those transactions going through.
1: Okay, so this this uh, it, th- would they call it mining? <laughs>
0: no, they would call it service fees. I mean, okay. it's pretty. <laughs> it's not mining because <laughs> it's not yeah. generating
1: new tokens or some uh, new
0: coin yeah, or and, whatever. And that mining thing, I mean, you, you know a little bit about that stuff. Like basically to prove that you're part of the network, you're just like chugging through endless cryptographic puzzles mm-hmm. that are wasting use cycles. So it is prohibitively expensive to do that you know, If you're not going to be a, a good patron of the network here, mm-hmm. they say like with Bitcoin or something, it would cost like $10 billion to try to fake uh, a Bitcoin to hack your way into stuff because it would take so much processing. Mm-hmm. That's one way to prove stuff. You probably heard uh, the other side, like Ethereum is working on this concept called proof of stake, where you just have to hold on to a certain number of tokens to prove that you're part of the network. Mm-hmm. It's still prohibitively expensive because you have to hold on to a bunch of the Ether tokens, uh, the Ether cryptocurrency. Um, So that's expensive to hold on to those. But at the same time, uh, you're at least not wasting CPU cycles to do that. You're just up and running. In our case, we are inviting them. We have a whitelist. You don't actually have to prove that you're a part of the network except to us directly. Then we're letting you run a node if you want to run a node. Mm-hmm. um and that you could earn a portion of the fees but eventually it will be opened up uh to probably a proof of stake type setup where you just hold on to a certain number of tokens and that'll prove that you're a good part of the community
1: is there a standardization or a statistical analysis of how many people need to run nodes to to achieve x amount of security or confidence or minimum stuff like that
0: um, Yeah, I'm sure somebody has some good numbers on that out there. Uh, we do not have great numbers on that out there at this point there. So um, what you want to have, the, but but when you're locking it down, when you're doing something that's whitelisted like this, that's why we're starting in that way, uh, because the number of people in a lot of respects, if you're not letting somebody actually run through this data on the network and be one of those nodes, then they can't fake the data that's on the node either. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we have that whitelisted actually does keep it secure. We're kind of like a combo right now of the lock it up in a safe because we have that whitelist and the keep it transparent because we have that blockchain transparency there. down the line, once we get enough people on it, we'll open that up. And that might be like when we hit 1,000 people or something like How that. How many when
1: we nodes this. do you have now? Or if you uh, don't, 12. Okay. i okay running on there right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. pretty small right yeah. now. So it, see if, this, if I've got this right. In your last response, you were talking about something about changing a ticket or whatever. So if the blockchain's in place and running and stable and doing it that way, that means your network has all the stuff in there. So it would just be, Matter of fact, after it comes down from the oracles and stuff, that it, a ticket could change ownership or something like that without having to be like the customer emails the company through customer service and they can do a refund and reprocess the credit card back that way. And like that's one thing, for instance, it's eliminated is all the people mm-hmm. that, have, that ha- would have to be involved to simply change the ownership of a ticket, sell, resell, <laughs> refund. And yours can do, you know, just change. The ownership and the software and that's that
0: yeah i mean we're not changing technically that ownership we're appending a new one Mm -hmm. on top of it because that's the glory of blockchain you can't ever change a record in the Uh past uh you can only append new records so we append that there's a, a new owner in this case But the cool thing is it still has that chain. So you can look back and say, hey, X person owned this before. And if there's a dispute, you can look through that chain of custody, uh, which is the great thing. I mean, you know, you see that come up all the time in blockchain stuff. Like one of the biggest use cases I've seen out there right now is supply chain stuff. Um, Food is a really good one. IBM does one that they've got like Kroger, Unilever and a bunch of other companies. Walmart is one of them involved, but they track food from farm table, literally, like mm-hmm. every step along the way, every antibiotic treatment along the way to make sure it's been treated uh, for diseases and things like that, all of this stuff. And now, uh, last year, uh, during a salmonella poisoning outbreak, they were able to track that in like 30 seconds versus (laughs) weeks, you know, that it would take before to get back there. That's the same thing here. If you have a dispute, you know, you could be able to track that history of that ownership of that ticket back through there. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, Eliminating uh, the people in between that are required to make that change. You don't need to stop. You don't need all that. Yeah.
1: You don't need a lot of things if you can get start to get your head around it. And I'm starting to understand that a little bit better when you say that there's so many applications for this like you know we're talking about just tracing money or tracing anything okay. like how many industries are there where there's just dumb lawyers and arguments and scammy stuff oh, man. gatekeeper kind of things that you could just go no no here's where it came from there's where it is don't you see like the data generated from that eliminates a bunch of you know pseudo professionals along I bet in a lot of industries not to mention just totally. efficient and then the top side of that being now we're generating data on some super massive scale that <laughs> it has to be that we're generating data that is so massive and comprehensive that then when you turn that data loose to probably AI and machine learning I bet they'll be able to interpret that data and come up with stuff that we Aren't capable of analyzing anyway. Like, we'll have more oh, yeah. big data to analyze just because we use this these technologies and platforms, and more people will have more access to the big data that it generates because it's not all proprietary stuff, right? Because it's open source. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's going to make the world a better place. It's like, got to. people yell at me all the time about, like, aren't you worried that Google's tracking your every move and all this stuff, you know, or something like that? In general, uh, as long as they're not being nefarious about that data, you know, and there are people I trust and people I don't with my data. But, you know, when Google sees me surfing the web and stores cookies on my machines and they give me ads for stuff that I'm actually going to like, that actually simplifies my life for the most part. They've developed new services that I use and they know where to put the buttons, you know, because mm-hmm. they track data from people like me. And I think it becomes the same thing when you're talking about fans and customer flow. Mm-hmm. We're then at that point getting to talk about, hey, what makes this easier for the fans? What gives them a better experience? What categories of events can I match people up to to help their explorations and help them find new types of events that we already know that they'll probably like? Uh, and expand their horizons a little bit because other people follow these same patterns. I think that's valuable information. Um, obviously, you don't want to get too. It could be anonymous, though. Stuff, it could be on, uh, exactly, you know, analyzed yeah. anonymously
1: to for creative and useful, pragmatic solutions. To if it was yeah. analyzed properly and, and applied, even if it was yeah. anonymous, just here's the blockchain. Run it through. What are the trends? What needs? I mean, it's, you know, the, it's just information there that could that will be used. Can be used to good end, and it sounds like the security. It's it's at least one step to being more secure, right? Than every password protected, firewalled, walled off, you know, old fashioned safe. You know, this has to be a step toward better security.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got it. Yeah. So in, the, in our case, we're actually where the security comes from in a lot of this, you know, one, it's the data that's stored there on the blockchain and that's helpful. That's a good thing. But the biggest thing is that we're creating a network where primary ticketing companies and marketplaces talk. They haven't before mm-hmm. outside of a few select certain circumstances here and there they really don't talk. So when there's a sale on StubHub or even Craigslist or something like that, uh, the primary ticketing company doesn't know about it. Yeah. And whose validation tech are you using? You know, as the artist at the event or the venue, you're using the ticketing company's tech to validate tickets at the door. So you don't, you want to know if that's changed hands yeah. or if it's been copied and that sort of stuff. In our network, we know when that changes hands Always. and we tell yeah. that primary ticketing company. So in our case, we're actually that original ticket, we're canceling that original ticket. The original ticket is no good. Even if there are other copies floating around, they don't work anymore to get in. So when it changes hands, there's a whole new ticket that's created. Uh, it's a really simple process, at least to start Like uh, with that. It's just a really simple process that by talking, you know, or they never have before, there's a big effect there that's going to be way more secure for secondary sales. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it must be true in every industry where there's this pinch point of, you know, somebody who, where people are, where information is not flowing freely, and then there's a pinch yep. point, and there's somebody controlling and profiting off that pinch point. Yeah. Totally. So now we have infinite amount of businesses to create that give connect people more directly. And you have to, mm-hmm. it's a, it's. I'm trying to get my head around what are the business opportunities, the reasons to go embrace this. Uh, I know philosophically it's better. <laughs> It'll make a better world. It will. It will make. You know, the transparency and the information flow and getting rid of the gatekeepers and the rent seekers, that is good for society. I, that is just should be obvious to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, people trying to make money with their hands in the cookie jar are, literally stifles Creation and create. There are people out there that are trying to make stuff and do stuff and accomplish things. And then there's people that are literally, I'll say Visa is is an example of this. They just Mm -hmm. take 2.9 plus 30% of everything everybody spends. That's their business model. That's not ideal. I mean, that's, I I understand they provide a service and I'm happy to pay it and I'm happy to use my Visa card. But Yep. we can do a lot better than, than that. I mean, yeah. you know, we can, you can eliminate that, and it's like, well, how are people going to make their money if we make everything free? Just like people say you could put freaking Uber on a blockchain if it was developed enough, but then they wouldn't have a big business, you know. So wh- how are the ways that we can move this stuff forward? You know, people think open source software, well, everything's free, great. How are we going to make money? But can you help speak to that? And, you know, yeah, there's obviously opportunities here. To yeah, make money I, also you know, I definitely. While think so.
0: you're improving the world, uh, you know one, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of them is you get a data set that you mentioned, you open that up to developers to do what they want with. Um, so here's an example that we had. We had just a, like a little mini hackathon in the office and we're like, all right, well, what can we create that's actually going to be helpful off of the data that we already have here? Um, well, we said we're tracking those tickets. We can let people peer into those, but how do they access that? How do they, nobody's going to go on a block explorer and say, Oh, I wonder what's being recorded here. Right. You know, uh, it just doesn't happen. So we created a text message, uh, system. Um, so you can text in a ticket ID. And if it's been tracked on the passage network, when you hit, hit that ticket ID and hit submit, uh, or you can just scan the ticket. doesn't matter whether you type it in or you scan the ticket. Either way works. You hit sub, uh, submit. Um, you can send that back to us and we're going to return to you either by an app or by the text messages, the initial one we, we threw out there, whether or not that ticket is real, whether or not it's already been marked as used, um, and any of those fee splits that are built in. So you can see where those are going. Now, the fee splits are one thing. We'll forget about that for a second. Just the whether or not it's real and has been used is a big deal in some circumstances. Imagine yep. you go up to a scalper on the street uh, and they have a printed out ticket that looks totally real, Um, you're at, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, where, where you guys are at right now. What's, what's the big sports baseball game,
1: Mariners game. Yeah.
0: Mariners game. Yeah. Killer. Uh, so Mariners game, you're in the playoffs sold out. You want to get in, you go up to that scalper on the street. They got that ticket there. You don't know if it's worth spending the money, you know, to buy this, you text in that ID. And you immediately know whether or not it's a real ticket and whether or not it's already been used to enter by somebody else. If it hasn't been used. You can probably buy it right now and still use it if it's real. You know, that's one thing that's valuable to people. But then there's all the analytics that you talked about. Um, on the other side is the marketplaces, and I think this is something that not enough, uh, you know, work has been done on. But right now there's like one marketplace there's stubhub there's mm-hmm. a couple more like nfl started their own ticket exchange now recently ticketmaster has their own secondary market now you know but for the most part stubhub is where secondary sales happen but now you can open up this network and let anybody sell that inventory so you could say hey you know the seattle times has an events division and they can drive you know millions of people they reach millions of people Um, Well, we can give them a marketplace and they can access all this stuff. And it's really just giving them a website that accesses this infrastructure that's already there. But they can have a marketplace and decide what fees they want to charge. Maybe they charge less fees than the guys down the road. So you want to use their marketplace to buy your ticket instead.
1: Yeah. So we're just taking something that can be free and cheaper and better and then cutting out bad actors as much as possible and then hopefully that there's some fees or service stuff or some other ways to monetize it. And there and there just always is. We've seen that time and time again. We got into this yeah. thing where Google's making the world better for everybody because it's free. Well, we don't exactly think of it as free now that we understand the persuasion and advertising and data that we're giving them. But certainly an improvement based on the way companies used to treat you 20 years ago. Like, you know, like it's, they're still doing, made great gains in that. And I feel like the, you know, even more transparency, open source stuff and blockchain is the whole next thing that if the people are smart and they are, they'll figure out how to make stuff even better than the ad driven stuff. That is micro payment and small things and more transparent and will continue to improve the world. And there's still got to be money for people to make. I just don't, I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah. And it seems like this has to be like pretty executable across lots of different, uh, businesses but even in this one how about the one where if you could get it down to where you're right it wasn't a nerd thing where you had to have a know your key to do crypto this or that blockchain stuff if it could get just as easy as click a button and scan your face and you have a digital account and it's it, it's all interfaced real well and the technology is working mm-hmm. really well and then you can do stuff again the visa thing drives me crazy as a person who accepts real small amounts of money for people for doing things like a podcast, the 2.9 plus 30% and, and oh, doing man, the transactions yeah. start to really add up or, 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 interfere and, and you have to go in and even enter your credit card. So it, the, yeah. this so seems so wrong. Like, it, you know, couldn't somebody just hand me a nickel, and I'd appreciate it, and that would be fine. Mm-hmm. And if you had a pocket full of nickels, you would throw them at every website. If the website was good and clean and no ads, you'd mm-hmm. throw nickels and pennies and fractions of pennies all day. All mm-hmm. day long you would do that, but it's just, I'm not going to take the time to enter my credit card. I'd rather give you a quarter totally. than I would enter my credit card, or a dollar than I would enter my yeah. credit card right now. You know, Or I don't want to pay a minimum amount so it's worth the fee. Blah. That is a huge barrier to... Things being created and generated but i wonder even in ticketing if it could get cheap enough for some the concept of ticketing all the way down to where you'd be paying tiny amounts of uh digital admittance for things like to use the bathroom is it possible to yeah. s- take this all the way down to like sit at this table at the restaurant or have this picnic shelter picnic table at the shelter and it costs you know it's just 75 cents and it's automatic and it's whatever
0: or, you know. Yeah, I mean, you called it out when you started talking about Visa and the middlemen there, right? Like, as soon as you start getting rid right of the middlemen and start just depending on the service fees that are actually in the software, yeah. which are next to none, right. to actually run the software, when when you start equalizing that and having an equalized market like that, then, uh, yeah, I, I think at that point, you can have microtransactions, and microtransactions, like a lot of what Visa plays their part in the middle, in the banks and all that, mm-hmm. they're they're helping secure stuff. They're they're giving you insurance policies and handling chargebacks and stuff like that when there's a dispute, all that stuff. But you don't care when it's a microtransaction. Nobody's going to care about that fifty cents if there's an insurance policy that's backing it to make sure your money doesn't mm-hmm. get stolen. That right. fifty cents, right? Exactly. So you don't need that third party there. And uh, absolutely, I mean, you can start tacking all that stuff on, appending that to the. Admission that's put in there, so you could pre-package a bundle that maybe includes two bathroom entries or something. I yeah. don't know. Well, see, <laughs> you know, some people are gonna right. find that dystopic a little
1: bit, but for instance, you could run, you could have your technology and micropayments and user experience. Let's just say this is a decade away. It's gotta be that mm-hmm. or less. You could have a whole really hip bar downtown. Where all the locations in the bar and tables and bar stools and places in line were had micro payments and admittance and ownership yeah. attached to them that your software sure. could back up in real time in a five second cycle. And now it sounds terrible to some people. Oh, you got to pay ten dollars to sit on that one bar stool or whatever. That's not the point. The point is that could be done. The values could be assigned. It could be paid for your exact uses, which is very efficient. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the businesses themselves will figure out how to make that good for customers, not bad. Like, yeah, I understand (laughs) you don't want to have to pay for every step you take, but it will be on the entrepreneurs and the businesses to figure out how to utilize that technology to serve you, but to to undergird that type of of stuff. I mean, you could trade places with uh, parking spots with somebody, or a place mm-hmm. where you are in the front of a concert and it's general admission with somebody who didn't mind giving you, know, giving you eight bucks to move up, and that could be totally. all all managed and uh, figured out by not you even, but the other people that would be using your technology. Like that's things they yeah. could websites they could design about parking spaces or concerts, like locations or bar stools, or I mean, I'm, I'm only Absolutely. just thinking about. That in micro is just nothing compared to all the possibilities out there.
0: Eventually, it becomes a full peer-to-peer, you know, ecosystem mm-hmm. where it's not even that initial sale, like you said, you know, from the bar for the for the bar stool. It's actually like, hey, if I want to trade that to the person in back of me, and it doesn't have to be for money. Either right. you know, one of the things that blockchain has enabled is, uh, you know, different ways of thinking about value. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, as far as I'm concerned, like, uh, you hear about stuff like the Wi Fi coin or things like that, where you never are going to sell your Wi Fi coin, but maybe by like opening up your Wi Fi network to other people, mm-hmm. you generate good karma basically that you can trade in and use that to access other people's Wi Fi down the yeah, line. Okay,
1: yeah. So when you talk about things that, like you mentioned that.
0: ecosystem
1: a minute ago. Token, ecosystem, there's a, I'm going to say this again, and you say it better than me after I tried to explain it, but the idea being that instead of just being universal, everything attached to a cash value on something like Bitcoin running everything, it's that there'll be these specialized ecosystems, and Wi-Fi itself will have its own um, blockchain thing that people participate in, and it'll have its own currency, but it's not about switching it, converting it in and out of cash value it's about its own use in its appropriate realm
0: sure exactly yeah yeah i mean because right now we try to convert everything to u.s dollars and i think there's an inefficiency there in even that Definitely. you know uh when you're doing that conversion back and forth and right. and uh, that's an issue you know what a dollar given for a candy bar is different than a dollar given to a homeless veteran who is in need um, and uh, those are not the same value, you know, structure there. They don't have to be anymore if you've got, you know, literally eventually a token for everything a or something sec- like
1: that. Ultra secure, transparent token. So if it was for Wi-Fi, let's just go through that one. So now we've left ticketing. Sure. Now I have the, the now the 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 blockchain exists for this and I want I get a Wi-Fi token or credit or account or what what do I have? I have a token, or I share my Wi-Fi and get token points. What what, what happens there?
0: Yeah, basically, you know, I, I'm a, I'm not an expert on this side of things, but there is one out there called Wi-Fi Coin, and I believe the idea is, you know, you have a customized software that's on your Wi-Fi router that mm-hmm. tracks usage a little bit. And so the idea there is, uh, you open that up. You basically, you know, have install this, have a couple clicks, and it becomes one click thing eventually. But right now, it's probably kind of hard to do. But you open that up, and you let other people jump on your Wi-Fi. And as soon as somebody else starts accessing your Wi-Fi and using that, they have a token that they're paying to do that, and that's flowing to you. Uh, so they're paying, you know, uh, you know, ten Wi Fi tokens to use you for ten minutes. Maybe mm-hmm. it's one token a minute or and something. And it happens like that. automatically
1: and it's it's, it's I, I it's, totally. you know, if you wanted to convert it to a cash value, it'd be very small, but you, there's no even need to convert it. It's just its own exactly. value. There's right? no need to. Yeah. And I'm happy you can because just, I know it's secure because it's smart contracted to allow them in, charge them automatically, credit my token exactly. automatically, and when they log off, it's automatic. I mean, all that stuff just is gonna auto happen with no yep. trouble from anybody.
0: Yep, totally, totally. Um, and I think that's, you know, the king is when we can do those direct sales, then we don't have to have, you know, Uber still takes, you know, 30% fees or something. I don't know if that's the accurate number, but it's a decent amount when right. they're talking about uh, literally facilitating a sale from somebody with a car to a person getting in their car. Like right. the Uber is not even in between physically there, you know, but uh, these two people are directly connected, but somehow they're in the payment. Uh, well, in this case, you know, they don't have to be between the payment. It can be a nut- network that's not run by a corporation. It's just there and it's facilitated by a token. Mm-hmm. And maybe, yeah, you don't ever cash that in for dollars, but you cash it in for other rides, you know, in right. that case or something like that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I can uh, use my Wi Fi token at somewhere else. And, and, and it can be based on, here's the thing all this stuff points to one concept, and it is that business and technology are not a zero sum game. That's what we're talking about here. This is why it's important to get the concept down because what am I going to do in traditional business? Well, go compete, crush some other person and get Visa's business from them and out-compete them and get you get 80% of market share or get rid of all the stuff that doesn't contribute anything to the world Mm -hmm. and put those same efforts into creating new things and allowing people to share and uh, you know, like create stuff like voluntarily you can participate in that Wi-Fi system and maybe you'll 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 create an environment of positive sharing anyway, mm-hmm. where people mm-hmm. are, are happy. Like there's plenty of food I throw out, for instance. I'd be very happy sure. to give it to somebody. I wouldn't consider it a loss. So if yep, I could help totally. some people have Wi-Fi that I trusted in a secure way, because we're in this community together, then mm-hmm. it's simple that every and then when I'm in some other neighborhood. I have free Wi-Fi. It would feel free. It would feel mm-hmm. like we've all gained something and nobody lost. That is absolutely. The, and that's what we should be building technology to do: is to stimulate absolutely. non-zero-sum games where everybody can win some more, not entirely, yep. but at least more so. And we'll, we'll yep, trust that's... me. The competition stuff will stick around. That's pretty natural. Like, <laughs> yeah, that'll that's, still uh, exist, that's of no course. Problem. But <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't have to be at somebody else's expense for you to win. I, yeah. mean, very and it's ha- I mean, we're very—it's not just
0: some hippie commune, you know—that right. that something ends up living. I think, you know, in effect, these systems end up pooling resources to make that That's thing right. better, you right. know, in the middle because they're all concentrated. And so your Wi-Fi gets better for everybody, because they have become better providers that can take advantage of having more Wi-Fi coin given to them, mm-hmm. you know, and that sort of thing. I don't think centralized providers will go away. It's just that this, uh, you know, transaction in between will become much, much more efficient based on these new technologies. But,
1: but the companies like Uber or Airbnb that are good, I mean, they're leading the way here. And it's not that we yeah. want to get their profits or make them fail. It's like. They, the companies, and the people, and the R and D should go into developing things that will like focused on the right stuff. Yeah, (laughs) just developing new things that will help everybody. Yes, you'll figure out a way to monetize it. You will. That's fine. the 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 game is design, like discovery and design and development. Mm -hmm. That's the game, not competing for portion of X. We gotta we just go create new stuff, and there'll be more to do. There'll be more. I mean, you know. So that's real exciting as that starts to emerge. I hope people can see that because I think that's I mean, and blockchain won't replace all modern computing
0: no. or anything, you
1: know. No. I don't I don't imagine. What do you see as its limitations?
0: Well, or I, potential it's not super problems? efficient. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think that's uh it's not super efficient. You know, it's the problems that we see right now with the scalability of things. Uh, it's super secure. It's great at that, but uh, right now we're in this era of trying to figure out how to scale blockchain technology, and if you ask a lot of the experts, I'm no expert on the technical side of stuff, but if you ask a lot of experts, they say it's not actually going to scale. You know, that's not the problem that we should be solving. It's how do we build a layer in between, Use that security from blockchain, but build some sort of layer in between so that we're only using the blockchain stuff to secure the data there, but we're not writing directly to it for every CryptoKitty game. CryptoKitties happens off chain, you know, mm-hmm. and it just posts to the blockchain every so often to make sure that that state of the crypto kitty or whatever other asset we're tracking is secured, but that doesn't have to happen every single time. There's a mini change to anything yeah. like microtransactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably have heard about the lightning network with Bitcoin, right? Um, yeah. Maybe, tell me about it. That, I've heard about
1: it. I can say anything about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, what what it is is it's a second layer. It, it's another layer on top of the blockchain that you know there can be many transactions that happen in between these networks of computers, and then it's written to the blockchain after there's a certain amount of transactions That's that go sense. on. Yeah, um, and and it's kind of like Visa works. Like even with Visa and Mastercard, you're tra- I, I actually ran a payment processing company before I ran our event stuff, you know, and all that. So I'm very mm-hmm. versed in that world. Even those transactions don't settle immediately. Uh, What they do, they're what's called authorized immediately. So there's a message that's sent back to the servers and says, hey, is this money available on the card and can we reserve it? You know, that $5 is reserved on the card. But then every 24 hours at midnight, all of those transactions are actually settled, you Mm -hmm. know, so it only happens once per day per merchant. Uh, it's not happening every, you know, hundred thousand every second or something like that.
1: I don't know if even if compression would be the word there, but it's almost like data compression. It is where it's if there's enough of it, it can be analyzed and reduced and then put in in another way or something. There must be you know, there's got to be some way that eventually it'll be able to compress for lack of
0: better word. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of senses, that's what blockchain's uh, miracle was to start with, was the ability to say, hey, we have a group of data, we can run it through a one-way hashing algorithm so we can create this number that's like, I don't even know how many digits it is, we'll say 30 digits, It's that's not correct, but a 30-digit number at the end of the day that you can only get to by this you know billion digits of of code that you've put into it or mm-hmm. data that you put into it. But you know, based on that 30 digits, you know, if somebody else tries to create that 30-digit uh, uh, that, uh, number from a different billion digits of data, they're not going to get there. It's going to be a different number if you run it through this one-way hashing algorithm. Yeah. So that was one of the miracles of blockchain. I think you can start doing that just to secure stuff and write it so you can prove that you had the data set that this number came from, but not vice versa. You, know, you get what I'm saying there, so you can only get to that point with it.
1: well, I'll put it this way: I believe you, and that yeah. will exhaust the depth of that I can speak about technology such as this, so that's a good place to end because that's a, that's about the limit of of what I think I can uh think through or expect anybody else to at the at the moment but i i I get right at the door <laughs> of that concept, but yeah, you lose me when we're talking about the actual digits and the algorithm itself um this has been really, really useful. So you do passage. GoPassage.com is, is your regular ticketing site that is not blockchain.
0: Yep. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's not blockchain at the moment, but it is uh, the first one. We are our own first client. That's connected into the PassageX awesome. network, and everything that happens on pa- on GoPassage.com uh, is being tracked on the blockchain. Uh, you can actually go to PassageX.com and click network and view you know, tickets that are going through the system uh, and do a lot of the stuff that we already talked about today.
1: Cool. And Passage X there. Is there anything you'd like to do? I mean, you just for, for any type of ticketing stuff, you like people to just use gopassage.com. Just start there, right?
0: Yeah, of course. We would love to talk to you. If you're doing ticketing for an event, uh, need something custom, we do do those custom build-outs for certain portions of events, white label systems, all that. But, you know, down the line, if you are somebody who runs a ticketing company or an artist or a fan, we'd love to talk to you about Passage X. And creating this, you know, neutral in between because we've got it built uh, and we're getting people on board. We have uh, three ticketing companies that have signed on to use this. We just signed on a marketplace that reaches 10 million people. Uh, Listia.com is their name. Um, And they have done peer-to-peer, like everything from like furniture sales to other stuff, video games and all that sort of thing for a long time. But they've never done tickets because they never wanted to mess with this stuff, with finding the inventory and with all the fraud and stuff. So we signed them on. And we're just looking to get more people involved in that that uh, believe in, you know, all the stuff like lowering fees and getting rid of the fraud and fair revenue. Finally, to the artist and all those sorts of folks. Yeah,
1: that is great. So, Alex Linnebrink, I got it. You got it. <laughs> okay, That's the way for it here. Now, this is great. And thank you to Ken and our mutual friend for introducing us. He said we'd, yeah. we'd, we, we would have the same, uh, you know speed of talking and entertaining each other and he was correct about that so this has been a very pleasant and very easy conversation so thank you for coming on to talk about some of this stuff with us alex we appreciate it
0: hey thank you matt and thanks for all you do on the podcast it's a blast listening to you break all this stuff down so i appreciate it appreciate
1: it hey there i am johnny christ from avenge sevenfold and i've got a podcast called drinks with johnny you're gonna want to check out I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks
0: With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the professional, professional Book, book nerds. Nerds.